electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to a what promises to be a very eventful Power Lunch. Along with Kelly Evans, I'm Tyler Matheson. We're glad you can join us. We are a few minutes away, as you probably know, from the release of the Fed's statement on interest rates, the central bank's uh, taper timeline. Kelly, in focus today. Before we get to our panel of experts, let's get a quick check on the markets. We're looking at the Dow down 307, so a little off session lows, almost a 1% decline. But the S&P is only down four-tenths of a percent, and the Nasdaq down just two-tenths right now. Uh, as we await this big decision. Let's bring in David Kelly of J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Jim Caron of Morgan Stanley Investment Management, and Cameron Dawson of New Edge Wealth. Great to have you guys all with us. David, I'll start with you. Um, you know, we've got the, the move itself. We've got the press conference. What in the statement will you be watching? Well, first of all, they're going to have to acknowledge that there actually has been a slowdown in both consumption and production because industrial production fell for the last three months and real consumer spending fell for the last two months. So they'll have to acknowledge that right off the bat. And that's the first sentence of the statement. The thing I'm going to be watching is, are they going to change the language about future increases? Can they say, well, there may be some further tightening in the federal funds range or something like that? Because they've got to get, I think they need to back out of the idea that they're locking in two more rate increases after today. We get 25 basis points today. I think that's unwise, but I think it'd be even more unwise to do another two rate hikes uh, in uh, March and May. Cameron, I know that all three of you basically agree that a quarter point is baked into the cake here, but I want to pick up on something David just said. When is this all going to end, Cameron? When are they really <laughs> going to stop this, this uh, rate, rate increases? Is it this meeting? Is it next? Is it May? When? Well, if we believe what the Fed says, it would look like May because the Fed has given guidance that they want to see rates above 5%, which would imply another hike in May. And I really think it's the question of how much they want to push back against the rate cut bets in the back half of this year, because we still have about 50 basis points baked in for the back half. I think that's the real question mark for markets is that pushback against cuts. Jim? Look, I mean, the Fed has a very difficult job today. In one sense, they have to decide that they're slowing the pace of rate hikes to 25 basis points. On the other hand, they don't want to let people think that the terminal rate is already baked into the cake and that they need to keep that an open, hotly debated question that they're thinking about. That way, they introduce two-sided risk in, in, into the markets. So look, I, I think they go 25 today. They probably do another 25 in, in March. That will in my view, that's probably where they end the cycle. But overall, the key message for them is that they're going to have to communicate is how wage inflation and the tightness in the labor market are really key factors that they're keeping an eye on. Because the worst thing that can happen to them is have inflation not come down enough, become unanchored and start to rise. And then they have to restart their hiking cycle. So, David, so they've, you got to, they've got to skirt that line. David, you said something very interesting. The Fed would be wise to call a halt to rate increases right now. Why? Um, because, this, uh, you know, the economy is like a big cruise ship. And when you're bringing it into port, you're supposed to cut the engines and just drift in. Instead, they're sort of revving up and heading for the pier here. 
It makes no sense to over-tighten and then actually project that they're going to have to cut rates in both 2024 and 2025. That's what they're saying right now. And there's nothing in economic theory which says the right way to stabilize the economy is to overshoot in interest rates and then cut. So I think they're I think they're playing with fire here. We could end up with a recession in the second half of this year, an absolutely unnecessary recession because they over-tightened. Do you agree with that, Cameron? Not necessarily, because we think that we're starting to see some early signs that maybe the deceleration we saw in inflation in the back half of 22 could actually start to abate, meaning inflation could reaccelerate, mostly because of energy prices, which are starting to climb again. And because we've seen so much resilience within the labor market, look at that jolts number today. We don't think it really gives the Fed much wiggle room in order to become accommodative because the Fed is very afraid of inflation coming back, which means that they've continued to say there are greater risks of under tightening versus over tightening. Jim, I'm going to save the first word after the decision for you. We've got about nine seconds left before we can go to Steve Leisman. The uh, Dow right now down 300 points. And let's go to Steve with the Fed's decision. Federal Reserve raising by 25 basis points to a new range of 4.5 to 4.75. This is the eighth straight hike by the Federal Reserve since March, up by a quarter to 4.5 to 4.75. The Federal Reserve sees ongoing increases as appropriate. So that phrase that some thought might come out remains in. The Fed is still en route to a level it calls a sufficiently restrictive level of the funds rate. One little bit of dovish commentary here says inflation has eased somewhat. However, it says it still remains elevated. The Fed is signaling a new focus on the extent of rate increases and not necessarily the pace. So it says in determining what it now says is the extent of increases, that word had been pace previously. So it's not thinking about it going up by 25. It's thinking about how far it goes at this point. On the economy, uh, it sees modest growth in spending and production. It says job grades have been robust. The unemployment rate is low. All language from the prior statement. The decision was unanimous with the four new voters replacing the prior four who were out there. So, uh, Kelly, back to you. Up a quarter. Uh, still thinking about ongoing increases, still heading to a sufficiently restrictive level. Any dissent, Steve? That, that's a pretty big deal that they left no, in unanimous. the word ongoing. Wow. Yeah, they left in ongoing means they have more to go. Uh, I guess that's pretty clear. Uh, and they're not backing off anyway. This idea of going to it, what they call a sufficiently restrictive level, which tells you that they don't feel like they're there yet. Right. And as we can imagine, Steve, thank you. We'll, we'll come back to you in just a moment. Uh, markets are reacting about as poorly as you might expect. Although we were all saying all week long, we're probably bracing for a hawkish surprise. You can see uh, stocks taking a leg lower and bond yields perking up a bit. Let's bring back our panel along with Bob Bassani and Rick Santelli. Rick, I'll turn to you first. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, we do see two-year notes spike, but they're already coming back down. We saw 10 spike. They're coming back down a bit. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped, but it's coming back. There's a lot of mean reversion going on there. Listen, after listening to Steve's highlights of what the Fed has in the statement, it seems to me that the guardians of the U.S. economy, which is the Federal Reserve, aren't going to be happy till they give birth to a recession. We've seen economic contractions like PMIs, and I see sections of the economy slowing, but we have a strong labor market, and labor is a pain that the Fed doesn't want to occur. They want to induce weak labor pains, and to do that, they're going to keep 
higher for longer. So no matter how you slice this, I do believe that the markets are going to continue to look beyond the rhetoric, look beyond trying to give birth to a recession and the cleansing breath it may need for pricing after we've gone through COVID and all those issues. But in the end, it certainly seems to me like all the momentum in pricing has reversed. And the only thing left is for the Fed not to blink too early because there is no good reason in their minds, in my opinion, that they should ease back. They should keep rates up. But I certainly don't believe that there's going to be a March increase. My personal feeling is, is that this is going to be it for now. Uh, I don't know. They just said ongoing rate increases will still be. By the way, the Dow's down about 400 points right now. Uh, David Kelly, we, uh, no, I should say Jim, actually, we promised to turn to you. Uh, what are what your kind of knee-jerk reactions here? What jumps out to you? Yeah, so, so look, I, I think that another hike in, in March is probably on order. I think it's going to be very important to hear what they say in the press conference in the sense that wage inflation, the tightness in the labor market, I think is what's concerning them the most. It's service sector inflation, and one of the biggest feed-ins to higher prices and, and, and wages, obviously, you know, clearly is, is the tightness in the labor market. So this needs to be addressed. And I think the way the Fed is reading this is they're saying that, look, the terminal rate is not a done deal yet. We're still going to debate whether it's 5 or even 5.25%. And what they're trying to avoid is a type 2 error where they don't do enough right now when they've got inflation on the run. And then all of a sudden, inflation starts to resurge again later this year. And then they have to restart their cycle. And that hurts markets more. I'm going to go to Bob now. And then I'm going to come back to you, David Kelly, uh, and, and remind David uh, of something he said that is stuck in my head since before this rate tightening cycle began. But, Bob, we were at 300 points down on the Dow uh, as we headed into this result. Right now, we are down 367. Uh, how are stocks reacting? It would seem sort of they got what they expected. Yeah, uh, ongoing increase is appropriate. I think doesn't surprise anybody down here. The, the big debate right now, and you see that the S&P's lost about five points, six points maybe since this started. But the debate here is just how much more hawkish can Powell possibly sound? He's made it pretty clear where he stands on this. They're going to keep raising rates. They're going to keep them higher for longer. The market thinks they've got one, maybe two small rate increases, and then they're going to cut rates by the end of the year. Fed uh, futures are four and a half percent not at five or five and an eighth. So who's right? You know, the Fed apologists constantly say, don't fight the Fed. But I talk to bond market people. They've got their own cliches out there. And one of the ones I hear from the bond market guys is the Federal Reserve tells the market when it's going to raise rates, but the market tells the Fed when it's going to cut rates. And right now, the bet is exactly what David said, that the Fed is going to introduce some kind of recession that's going to force them to acknowledge that and cut rates later in the year. That's what the bond market says. And FOMC is 12 people, but the bond market is more than 12 million people. And that's one of the reasons I tend to spend a lot of time talking to the bond market guys at this point. So you see the dollar up right here and pretty modest reaction on the S&P. David, before this whole rate tightening cycle began, I remember you specifically saying that traditionally, typically, the Fed starts too late, goes too high and stays too long. I assume that you would stick by that statement and say that that's exactly what, in your view, the Fed is doing now. Exactly. I mean, they, they say that they acknowledge the long lags by which monetary policy affects the economy, but with inflation coming down, with uh, consumption spending falling, with, with industrial production falling, they're still raising rates. So, you know, that's obviously waiting too long. 
And, you know, on inflation, inflation's not going to get going again. You know, even I get it that energy prices picked up a little bit in January. Okay. But, but by the middle of this year, rent, instead of being a headwind, is going to be a tailwind. It's going to be pushing inflation down. Uh, so I think, you know, at the middle of this year, we're going to be somewhere with a three handle on inflation, middle of next year, two handle or, or lower. We could well, uh, but, uh, you know, eventually we're going to end up with inflation below 2% and the Federal Reserve is going to be trying to push it back up again. And there's no need to get into a recession in between now and then. But, but you think that, 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 that cruise ship that you talked about before the, before the top, you think the ship's going to hit the dock? Uh, yeah, at the, at the moment, yes. I, unfortunately, I think it is. I mean, there's just so much pressure on this economy, particularly on consumers. There are a lot of lower and middle income consumers who had money through the pandemic because of government aid. They racked up credit card debt last year to try to stave off the, the tough day where they're going to have to cut back. Now they're going to cut back. Um, and with, uh, you know, exports being hurt by a high dollar, uh, with housing being crushed by high interest rates, that's enough to push this economy into recession, even if the Fed did nothing at this stage. And if the Fed keeps on tightening, then it just makes it worse. Does, does anyone on our panel, including you, Steve, uh, you, Bob, does anyone want to agree with Rick that, that, that this is it? I see shaking of heads, Rick. Let me, let well, me, listen, no, Tyler, let me, let me jump in, Tyler. All right, Steve, Tyler. let me go to Steve first, then I'll come to you, Rick. Let, let, me, let me tell you how the market is priced because there's been some interesting movement um, in, in the uh, uh, post-statement period here in terms of probabilities. The market is baked in 50% probability right now of a quarter point in May um, with a 43% probability of a 50 in May. So the market has taken this. I think what's happening right now is you're shaking the doves out of the market here. That sounds like a, a dance or something like that. But, but um, th there, there was definitely a dovish bid on, on this idea that maybe the ongoing increases was, was amended, perhaps, to further increases. There's some talk in some of the uh, pre-meeting statements. That did not happen. The Fed uh, uh, signaled a resolute next several months. There, there is one piece of dovish news you should not ignore which is this idea of the change of the word. I know it's hard to get excited about the change of a single word, but it is out there. They started, they're talking about now determining the extent of rate hikes, not the pace of rate hikes. So there is an ongoing discussion now acknowledged in the statement about where that stopping point is. So Rick is conceptually not wrong. What he might be wrong about, at least from the market standpoint, is the timing of it. Now, what I think is, and I'll let Rick speak for himself, is behind that statement is you get a whole lot more inflation decline. You get some jobless claims, uh, uh, jobless claims increases and jobless increases and unemployment increases. Yeah, the Fed might change his mind, but I think they're pretty much for sure going to do at least one more hike here. That's how the market is, is, is priced. NASDAQ's gone positive, by the way. Go ahead. Rick? Yeah, I, I, I will stick to my guns. I think this is the last hike. But I will say this. I don't necessarily agree that there's an ease anytime soon. I really think that the tone of the Federal Reserve for the rest of the year is going to be higher for longer. I think that's the mantra. And remember, uh, the Phillips curve, the tenuous relationship between GDP, labor and prices, uh, the market doesn't believe those relationships are as solid as the Fed does. Cameron, get, let me give you a sort of a final thought here. Uh, do you see anything in either the statement or in your spidey sense, do you feel anything that would suggest that the Fed might cut rates before the end of this year? No, there really isn't anything in the statement where they're expressing a great concern that the economy is weak enough or inflation is low enough 
in order to justify the cuts that are already being priced in. And we really think that's the only scenario where the Fed is willing to ease policy, which is very low inflation and very low growth, because that would reduce the risk of inflation coming back. But there is nothing in this statement that acknowledged that, which just means that the bond market will likely have to be pulled into the Fed's camp, that they're going to stay higher for longer. Bob, what were you going to say? Here's what I would say. The question is, what would Powell say at the press conference that would make him even more hawkish? And the only thing that seems striking to me is he could make some comment about being concerned about the what looks like the easing of financial conditions. And he could say financial conditions uh, should not be easing in some way. He could be much more aggressive in the general press conference than he could be in the actual statement. Maybe you could say something financial indications indicate excesses uh, could lead to a resurgence of inflation, something like that. I'm trying to think of a way he could, again, reassert that aggressiveness and determination to keep rates up. And that's potentially where it could be. But, Jim, he's he's come across. I mean, I, I thought of Jay Powell as a rather, uh, I mean, to use the cliche word, dovish uh, uh, chairman for for a good long portion of his, certainly his first term, now he seems to be squarely in the more hawkish side of things. I'm not giving up on crushing inflation. He's really flexing his muscles here. Well, I, I think this statement was hawkish relative to market expectations. I think market expectations was quite dovish. You know, Rick was alluding to that. And he's got a view that this might be the end for the Fed in terms of their hiking cycle. So I think a lot of people in the markets were thinking along those same lines and, and have a lot of sympathy for what, what David Kelly's talking about as well. So all Powell is saying is pretty much exactly what he said at the December mm -hmm. summary of economic projections at the December uh, Fed meeting, which is that the terminal rate is probably going to be somewhere in the 5 to 5.25 percent area. And he wants to keep that alive right now. There's no summary of economic projections at this meeting. We have to wait until March for that to happen. So it, his hands are really tied to really make a forecast for the economy. So I think he's really just carrying on the same tune that he had back in December, mm -hmm. but the market expectations have become a lot more dovish. So this may just seem hawkish relative to market expectations. But have the facts changed, David? I mean, just this morning, the ISM manufacturing number was horrible again, and it's a leading indicator. The services was also in contraction last month. We are no leading indicators have rolled over. It's the labor market where we're really still seeing the strength. So. Um, have the facts changed enough that you think the Fed should at least kind of wink at that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, to me, the, the biggest thing here is I know we've got a tight labor market. Of course, we've got the lowest unemployment rate in over 50 years, but it's not that strong. In other words, in terms of momentum, I don't think you know 71 percent of worker or of, of Americans think we're either in recession right now or we will be in the next year. So workers aren't demanding huge pay increases. So I don't see an awful lot of strength in wages. I think we could we could actually get by with a lower unemployment rate than it appears right now. So I don't think there's that much strength actually in the labor market. And meanwhile, as you say, there are plenty of indicators that things are slowing down. And when you think about the May meeting, they're going to be looking back, I think, at a negative first quarter for real GDP growth uh, at that May meeting. And that certainly should give them pause for thought. Wow. Cause to pause. Yeah. There's the phrase that pays. <laughs> pause patrol. <laughs> I think I've seen people talking about. Uh, Steve, quick final word then. Is the pause off the table? For, for now it is. They're definitely discussing it. I think that's the key. Um, and, and I think Bob poses an interesting question we've been talking about all week. Does Powell have a need to redirect this market uh, to tighten financial conditions or is he uh, okay with letting it roll in the sense that, hey, 
in six months' time, we'll figure out who's right, and there's no reason to really uh, uh, to, to jawbone the market any tighter than it is right now. Let the data do the talking from here on out. Because the problem in the summer, Kelly, we've talked about this, is that the market may have misunderstood the Fed. There was a disagreement about the reaction function of the Fed. I don't think anybody thinks Powell's not serious about fighting inflation. I think now it's a disagreement over the outlook and the truth will out. No, but it, Steve, it's funny because even if he were trying to, to tighten financial conditions, we have a better... <laughs> We have the Nasdaq now positive. The Dow is less negative. Everything looks better than it did before the statement came out, if that's the effect he was trying to have. You have to wonder if he's watching this and then deciding what tone to walk into the 2.30 press conference with. (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll leave it there, everybody. We appreciate it very much today. Thank you all uh, for joining us. And there's a whole lot more still to come. Oh, yeah. We're just about 15 minutes away from Fed Chair Jay Powell's news conference. That's often even more of a market-moving event than the statement itself. Before that, we're going to speak with former Fed Governor Robert Heller about what he expects to hear. A power lunch on a Fed day rolls on next. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Power Lunch, uh, everybody. Stocks giving back some losses in today's session after a pretty good month of January. Uh, This is following the Fed's decision to raise interest rates, as expected, by 25 basis points, a quarter of 1%. Fed Chair Powell's press conference is just about 11 minutes uh, away. Joining us now, Robert Heller, former Federal Reserve Governor. Uh, Governor Heller, welcome. It's always good to see you. Uh, What is your reaction to what the Fed did and what uh, it said in its statement No great surprise for me. Everybody expected 25 basis points as the Fed is slowing down its tightening process. Uh, The big question is whether they're really done or not. Uh, If you look at the money supply, which is a very important variable that the Fed does not tend to look at, it's actually negative. So that is another indicator in addition to the inverted yield curve that uh, the economy is slowing down and that we will be facing a recession in the middle of this year. So that's your, that is your base case, is that there will be some sort of recession uh, by, by mid-year. Does that then argue that the, that the stock market has got it wrong? The market has been rising here for the past three or four months generally, and it had, it had put in a very nice um, month of January. Do you expect that to, to cease if, as you did, just said, uh, the, 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 the telltales of recession become more evident? Well, Tyler, we all agree the markets tend to be forward-looking. And in a forward-looking market, they may have priced in that small recession already. Mm-hmm. I'm not the great stock market uh, guru uh, that a lot of the other guests uh, are, but I would, I would see the stock market improving 
as a very positive sign that the recession will be relatively mild and not for, of a long duration. What's going to happen to inflation, you think? Uh, inflation will continue to come down. And the reason for that is, again, that we see the money supply shrinking at the present time. It's going down, and that is still the best indicator for uh, inflation. Uh, half a year, a year, year and a half in the future. So inflation will be more contained. Talk to us a little bit, if you would, about the tightening of uh, uh, of Fed policy with respect to uh, its balance sheet and how important that is, even after the Fed stops raising interest rates, presumably they will continue to reduce their balance sheet by selling into the market the securities that they own. That is another form of tightening, isn't it? Exactly. And it's uh, it's very important. But here you also bring then up implicitly uh, the government policy. The Federal Reserve has financed the enormous increase in the federal deficits in the past. And uh, that was, in my view, a mistake. Uh, but now we need the federal government to also tighten, to stop spending, to, to have a smaller deficits. And that will help monetary policy to achieve the goals that we all have. Uh, so the ball, I mean, the ball is really in the, uh, in the, in the, in the congressional and the administration uh, realm. Uh, there we got to see the tightening and have good fiscal policy uh, so that the debt doesn't continue to increase, which is now at, you know, more than 100% of GDP. These are levels well at which Greece used to go broke. It's no problem. We'll just hit the debt ceiling. It'll be fine. That'll, that's how we'll stop it. Uh, serious question. <laughs> what do you think is the lag with which monetary policy hits the economy? Because I often wonder when we're talking about the market pricing in this versus that, let's say the market sees three to six months out, but monetary policy is going to hit 12 to 18 months from now. You, you, is there a mismatch there that, that the stock market can't quite see around the corner of what's coming? And, and didn't we see that where the biggest expansions in NGDP were probably at the, the end of 2021, even though a lot of the stimulus hit in March of 2020, maybe January of 21? What's the lag uh, that you think we should expect for all of the rate hikes that we're experiencing right now? Well, that's a very tough question. Milton Friedman would answer the lags are long and variable. And uh, I think he was a very, very smart man. Uh, so monetary policy lags, I would say, are between 12 and 18 months in that ballpark. 12 to 18 months still. So you just wonder, can the market really see that far ahead? Maybe the bond market can, but I wonder about stocks. Well, there are a lot of smart people in the stock market. There's money to be made. Whoever gets it right makes the most money. Yes. So this is self-correcting uh, <laughs> Uh, scheme in a way. Uh, typically, I think the markets do not look that far ahead. They want to see sort of what is just in front of the windshield. Is it raining? People, people in the market will get uh, a bit more depressed. But uh, so you may well be right that the legs are different in this between the stock market and the monetary policy. Governor Heller, it's always a privilege to talk to you. Thank you for joining us today. Good to see you, Tyler. You bet. Robert Heller.
And again, the Nasdaq positive after the Fed's decision. We are six minutes away from Fed Chair Powell's news conference. That could be the bigger market mover. We'll see. You stay with us. We'll have a preview coming up next. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Welcome back to Power Lunch. To our coverage of the Fed decision, we got the statement at 2 p.m. Eastern time. We're seeing the market reaction to that. They hiked a quarter point. And in a couple minutes, we'll go live to Washington for Chair Powell's news conference. Let's bring in Mike Santoli, Mike, with some thoughts on the market reaction here. Initially, a hawkish uh, reaction. Now, I don't know, should we call it a, a dovish one? I think, Kelly, it's certainly a not too much of a surprise relative to what we had previously priced. I mean, that's at minimum what you can say. I do agree that the idea that they kept the language in there about the potential for ongoing increases in rates maybe is slightly more hawkish, although I do agree with those who have said that because they're already on record with the December consensus outlook for where Fed funds is going, saying it's getting above 5 percent, I don't know if this was the forum for them to completely undo that. Just yet. So, uh, you know, the market seems okay with things right now. I'm not convinced that Jay Powell says, you know, inflation coming down and price stability is okay only if financial conditions are are a certain level of tightness. In other words, do they need to target the markets? What's the theory of the case if the S&P is at 4,100? Uh, and triple B bond yields are at 5.2 percent, that somehow we're going to rehire all these people and somehow we're going to, you know, kind of get inflation cooking again. I don't know. And that's what the the press conference might clarify. Does he think there's a level of unemployment we need to get the job done? Uh, And and I guess, does he want the market uh, to essentially be more on guard uh, about exactly how many rate hikes can come? What, where are you, Mike, as you as you analyze the, the various people we've had on and various other people that you read and talk to uh, on the on what seems to be a consensus that we are going to have a mild recession later this year? Yeah. You know, I, I, I buy into why that is the consensus because of all the offsets we have, you know, consumer and ha- household balance sheets in good shape, companies not super overextended. But I'm a little bit cautious because that's always the consensus before a recession. Uh, and also the hope for a soft landing usually starts to actually gather some steam before you actually have a recession. So I'm open to, to how this can veer off. But I get that if we do get a, a technical recession, it doesn't have to be particularly uh, deep right now. By the way, the market pricing rate cuts in the second half of this year, I think is all about this, the probability spectrum. If we really do have a, a really sharp downturn, no matter what the Fed says right now, they'll be cutting. But you don't find a lot of people coming on our air saying, I personally predict there will be two rate cuts in the second half of the year. It's much more about the market trying to price in the probability weighted outcome. So let's talk a little bit about about what, about what could be an ongoing way of tightening the money supply uh, of, of of taking money out of the system, and that is yeah. quantitative tightening, which is well underway. We're down a half trillion dollars on the Fed balance sheet since the spring. The S and P five hundred is about at the level it was before that started. So I think they want that to be secondary and, and kind of just occurring. 
in the background. I think I think more assertive forward guidance would be the first step is basically try to call the market out and say, we you know, we've, we've revised our estimate for where we think rates have to stay for a long time. All right. Here comes Jay Powell. Thank you, Mike. Good afternoon and welcome. My colleagues and I understand the hardship that high inflation is causing, and we are strongly committed to bringing inflation back down to our 2% goal. Over the past year, we've taken forceful actions to tighten the stance of monetary policy. We've covered a lot of ground, and the full effects of our rapid tightening so far are yet to be felt. Even so, we have more work to do. Price stability is the responsibility of the Federal Reserve and serves as the bedrock of our economy. Without price stability, the economy does not work for anyone. In particular, without price stability, we will not achieve a sustained period of labor market conditions that benefit all. Today, the FOMC raised our policy interest rate by 25 basis points. We continue to anticipate that ongoing increases will be appropriate in order to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2% over time. In addition, we are continuing the process of significantly reducing the size of our balance sheet. Restoring price stability will likely require maintaining a restrictive stance for some time. I will have more to say about today's monetary policy actions after briefly reviewing economic developments. The U.S. economy slowed significantly last year, with real GDP rising at a below-trend pace of 1%. Recent indicators point to modest growth of spending and production this quarter. Consumer spending appears to be expanding at a subdued pace, in part reflecting tighter financial conditions over the past year. Activity in the housing sector continues to weaken, largely reflecting higher mortgage rates. Higher interest rates and slower output growth also appear to be weighing on business fixed investment. Despite the slowdown in growth, the labor market remains extremely tight, with the unemployment rate at a 50-year low, job vacancies still very high, and wage growth elevated. Job gains have been robust, with employment rising by an average of 247,000 jobs per month over the last three months. Although the pace of job gains has slowed over the course of the past year and nominal wage growth has shown some signs of easing, the labor market continues to be out of balance. Labor demand substantially exceeds the supply of available workers, and the labor force participation rate has changed little from a year ago. Inflation remains well above our longer-run goal of 2%. Over the 12 months ending in December, total PCE prices rose 5.0%. Excluding the volatile food and energy categories, core PCE prices rose 4.4%. The inflation data received over the past three months show a welcome reduction in the monthly pace of increases. And while recent developments are encouraging, we will need substantially more evidence to be confident that inflation is on a sustained downward path. Despite elevated inflation, longer-term inflation expectations appear to remain well-anchored, as reflected in a broad range of surveys of households, businesses, and forecasters, as well as measures from financial markets. But that's not grounds for complacency. Although inflation has moderated recently, it remains too high. The longer the current bout of high inflation continues, 
the greater the chance that expectations of higher inflation will become entrenched. The Fed's monetary policy actions are guided by our mandate to promote maximum employment and stable prices for the American people. My colleagues and I are acutely aware that high inflation imposes significant hardship as it erodes purchasing power, especially for those least able to meet the higher costs of essentials, like food, housing, and transportation. We are highly attentive to the risks that inflation poses to both sides of our mandate, and we are strongly committed to a returning inflation to our 2% objective. At today's meeting, the committee raised the target range for the federal funds rate by 25 basis points, bringing the target range to 4.5 to 4 and 3 quarters percent. And we are continuing the process of significantly reducing the size of our balance sheet. With today's action, we have raised interest rates by 4.5 percentage points over the past year. We continue to anticipate that ongoing increases in the target range for the federal funds rate will be appropriate in order to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2% over time. We are seeing the effects of our policy actions on demand in the most interest-sensitive sectors of the economy, particularly housing. It will take time, however, for the full effects of monetary restraint to be realized, especially on inflation. In light of the cumulative tightening of monetary policy and the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation, the committee decided to raise interest rates by 25 basis points today, continuing the step down from last year's rapid pace of increases. Shifting to a slower pace will better allow the committee to assess the economy's progress toward our goals as we determine the extent of future increases that will be required to attain a sufficiently restrictive stance. We will continue to make our decisions meeting by meeting, taking into account the totality of incoming data and their implications for the outlook for economic activity and inflation. We have been taking forceful steps to moderate demand so that it comes into better alignment with supply. Our overarching focus is using our tools to bring inflation back down to our 2% goal and to keep longer-term inflation expectations well anchored. Reducing inflation is likely to require a period of below-trend growth and some softening of labor market conditions. Restoring price stability is essential to set the stage for achieving maximum employment and stable prices over the longer run. The historical record cautions strongly against prematurely loosening policy. We will stay the course until the job is done. To conclude, we understand that our actions affect communities, families, and businesses across the country. Everything we do is in service to our public mission. We at the Fed will do everything we can to achieve our maximum employment and price stability goals. Thank you, and I look forward to your questions. Chris Rugaver, uh, Associated Press, uh, thank you for doing this. Uh, as you know, financial conditions have loosened since the fall, with bond yields falling, uh, which has also brought down mortgage rates, uh, and the stock market posted a solid gain in January. Does that make your job of combating inflation harder, and could you see lifting rates higher than you otherwise would to offset the increase in, or to offset the easing of financial conditions? So it is important that overall financial conditions continue to reflect the policy restraint that we're putting in place in order to bring inflation down to 2%. And of course, financial conditions have tightened very significantly over the past year. 
Uh, I would say that our focus is not on short-term moves, but on sustained changes to broader financial conditions. And it is our judgment that we're not yet at a sufficiently restrictive policy stance, which is why we say that we expect ongoing hikes will be appropriate. Of course, many things affect financial conditions, uh, not just our policy. Um, and we will take into account overall financial conditions along with many other factors as, as we set policy. Hi, Chair Powell. Thank you for taking our questions. Rachel Siegel from The Washington Post. Over the last quarter, we've seen a deceleration in prices, in wages, and a fall in consumer spending, all while the unemployment rate has been able to stay at a historic low. Does this at all change your view of how much the unemployment rate would need to go up, if at all, to see inflation come down to the levels you're looking for? So I, I would say it is, a, it is a good thing that the, the disinflation that we have seen so far has not come at the expense of a weaker labor market. But I would also say that that, that disinflationary process that you now see underway uh, is really at an early stage. Uh, what you see is really uh, in the goods sector, you see inflation uh, now coming down uh, because uh, supply chains have been fixed, demand is shifting back to services, and uh, uh, shortages are, have been abated. So you see that in the um, uh, in the in the in the other in in the uh, housing services sector, we expect inflation to continue moving up uh, for a while, but then to come down, assuming that new leases continue to be lower. So, in those two sectors, you've got a good story. Uh, the issue is that we have a, a large sector called non-housing service, core non-housing services, where we don't see disinflation yet. But I, I would say that. Um, so far, what we see is, uh, is progress, but without, without any weakening in labor market conditions. Has, um, your ex oh, go ahead. Has your expectation for where the unemployment rate might go changed since December? You know, we're going to write down uh, new forecasts at the March meeting, and we'll see at that time. I will say that it is gratifying to see the disinflationary process now getting underway, and we continue to get strong labor market data. Uh, so. But, you know, we'll update those forecasts in, in March. Neil. Uh, hi, Chair Powell. Neil Irwin with Axios. Um, you and some of your colleagues have emphasized the possibility that job openings could come down and that uh, that would let some of the air out of the labor market without major job losses. We saw the opposite in the December jolts this morning, uh, job openings actually rising. Uh, that also has co coincided with, with uh, slowdown in wage inflation. Uh, do you believe that openings are an important indicator to be studying to, to understand where the labor market is and where wage inflation might be heading? So you're right about the data, of course. What we, um, we did see, we've seen uh, average hourly earnings and now the uh, employment cost index abating a little bit, still off of their highs of six months ago and, and more, but still at levels that are, that are, that are fairly elevated. Um, the job openings uh, number has, in jolts has been quite volatile that, uh, recently, and I did see that it moved up back up this morning. I, I do think that uh, it's probably an important indicator. The, the ratio, I guess, is back up to 1.9 job openings to, um, uh, to unemployed people, people who are looking for work. So it's an, it's an indicator, but nonetheless, we, you're right. We do see uh, wages moving down. If you look across the rest of the labor market, you still see very high uh, uh, payroll job creation, um, and, uh, uh, you know, quits are still at an elevated level. So many, many, by many, many indicators, uh, the job market is still very strong. Uh, Go to Colby and then Howard. 
Thank you. Colby Smith with the Financial Times. Uh, given the economic data since the December meeting, is the trajectory for the Fed funds rate in the most recent SEP still the best guidepost uh, for the policy path forward? Uh, or does ongoing now mean uh, more than two uh, rate rises now? So you're right. At the December meeting, we all wrote down our, our best estimates of, of what we thought the ultimate level would be. And that's obviously back in December. And the median for that was between five and five and a quarter percent. Um, at the March meeting, we're going to update those assessments. We did not update them today. We did, however, continue to say that we believe ongoing rate hikes will be appropriate to attain a, a sufficiently restrictive stance of policy to bring inflation back down to 2%. Um, we think we've covered a lot of ground, and financial conditions have certainly tightened. Uh, and I would say uh, we still think there's work to do there. We haven't made a decision on, on exactly where that will be. I think you know, we're going to be looking carefully at the incoming data between now and the March meeting and then the May meeting. Um, I, I, uh, I don't feel a lot of certainty about uh, where, that, where that will be. It could certainly be higher than we're writing down right now. If we come to the view that we need to write down uh, to, you know, to, to move rates up beyond what we said in December, we would certainly do that. At the same time, if the data come in in the other direction, then we'll, you know, we'll make data-dependent decisions at coming meetings, of course. Quick follow-up, how are you viewing the kind of balance of risk between those two options of, um, you know, the, the likelihood of maybe falling short of that for, or going beyond that level? I, I guess I would say it this way. Um, I continue to think that uh, it's very difficult to manage the risk of doing too little and finding out in six or 12 months that we actually were close but didn't get the job done and inflation springs back and we have to go back in and now you really do worry about expectations getting uh, unanchored and that kind of thing. This is a very difficult risk to manage. Whereas, uh, I, you know, of course, we, we have no incentive and no desire to, to over-tighten. But, we, you know, if we, if we feel like we've gone too far, we can certainly, could, could certainly, and inflation is coming down faster than we expect, then we have tools that would, that would work on that. So I, I do think that in this situation where we have still the highest inflation in 40 years, you know, the job is not fully done. As I mentioned, started to mention earlier, we have a, a sector that represents 56% of the core inflation index where we don't see disinflation yet. So we, we don't see it. It's not happening yet. Inflation in, in the core services X, uh, X housing is still running at 4% on a 6- and 12-month basis. So there's not, nothing happening there. In the other two sectors representing you know, less than 50%, you actually, I think, now have a, a story that is credible that's coming together, although you don't actually see disinflation yet in housing services, but, but it's in the pipeline, right? So for the, for the third sector, we, we don't see anything here. So I think it would be premature, it would be very premature to declare victory or to, to think that we've really got this. We need to see, our, our goal, of course, is to bring inflation down. And how do, we, how do we get that done? There are many, many factors driving inflation in that sector. And they should be coming into play to have inflation, the disinflationary process begin in that sector. But so far, we don't see that. And I think until we do, we see ourselves as having a lot of work left to do. Howard. Uh, Howard Shai with Reuters, and, and thanks as usual. So I just wanted to connect a couple dots here. The, the statements made a number of, of changes uh, that seem to be saying things are getting better. You're saying inflation has eased. Uh, has eased. Uh, that's new. Uh, you've taken out references to the war in Ukraine as causing price increases. You've taken out references to the <coughs> pandemic. 
you've uh, eliminated all the reasons that you said prices were being driven higher, yet that's not mapping to any change in how you describe policy. We still have ongoing increases to come. So I'm wondering, why is that the case? And does it have more to do with uncertainty around the outlook or more to do with you not wanting to give a very overeager market a reason to get ahead of itself and overreact? So I guess I would, uh, would say it this way. Uh, we can now say, I think, for the first time that the disinflationary process has started. We can see that. And we see it really in goods prices so far. Goods prices is a big sector. We, this is what we thought would happen since the very beginning, and now here it is actually happening. And for the reasons we thought, we, you know, it's supply chains, it's shortages, and it's demand revolving back towards services. So this is a good thing. This is a good thing. But that's you know around a quarter of the PCE price index, core PCE price index. So the second sector is is housing services, and that's driven by very different things. And we, as I mentioned, with housing services, we expect, and other forecasters expect, that measured inflation will continue moving up for several months, but will then come down, assuming that, that new leases continue to be soft. And we do assume that. So we think that that's sort of in the pipeline. And we actually see disinflation in the goods sector, and we see it in the pipeline for two sectors that amount to a little less than half. So this, this is good, and that, we note that when we say inflation is coming down. That, this is good. We expect to see that that disinflation process will be seen, we hope soon, in the core goods uh, ex-housing, sorry, the core, core services ex-housing sector that I talked about. We don't see it yet. It's, you know, it's, a, it's seven or eight different kinds of services. Uh, not all of them are the same. And, you know, we have a sense of what's going on in each of those different uh, subsections, um, uh, uh, probably the biggest part of it, probably 60% of, of that will, is, you know, uh, research would show is sensitive to slack in the economy. And so the labor market will probably be important. Some of the other ones, it's, it, the labor market's not going to be important. Many other factors will drive it. In any case, we don't see disinflation in that sector yet. And I think we need to see that. It's the majority of the core PCE index, which is the thing that we think is the best predictor of headline PCE, which is our mandate. So it's not that we're not, we're neither optimistic or pessimistic. We're just telling you that we, we don't see inf inflation moving down yet in that large sector. I think we will fairly soon, but we don't see it yet. Until we do, I think we, you know, we see ourselves, we've got to be honest with ourselves, we see ourselves as having perhaps more persistent, we'll see more persistent inflation in that sector, which will take longer to get down. Um, and we're just going to have to we have to complete the job. I mean, that's, that's what we're here for. <clears throat> Nick Timoros, The Wall Street Journal. Uh, Chair Powell, you observed several years ago that we learned we can have a low unemployment rate without above-target inflation. And we have learned lately that inflation can come down from its uncomfortably high level despite a historically low unemployment rate. Given that, and, and given how much you did over the last year, why do you think further rate increases are needed? Why not stop here and see what transpires in the coming months before raising rates again? So we, you know, we've raised rates four and a half percentage points, and we're talking about a couple of more rate hikes to get to that level we think is appropriately restrictive. And why do we think that's probably necessary? We think because inflation is still running very hot. We're, of course, taking into account long and variable lags, and we're thinking about that. Um, it really, it, it, the story we're telling about inflation is, in, to ourselves, and the way we understand it is basically the three things that I've just gone through a couple times. 
And again, we don't see it affecting the services sector X, X housing yet. Um, but I mean, I think our assessment is that we're not very far from that level. Uh, we don't know that, though. We don't know that. So I think we're, we're, you know, we're living in a world of significant uncertainty. I would look across the, the, rate, the, the spectrum of rates and see that real rates are now positive right by, you know, by an appropriate uh, set of measures or positive across the yield curve. I think policy is restrictive. We're trying to make a, a fine judgment about how much is restrictive enough. That's all. And we're gonna, you know, that's why we're slowing down to 25 basis points. We're going to be carefully watching the economy and watching inflation and watching the progress of the disinflationary process. Did you or your colleagues discuss <clears throat> the, the conditions for a pause at this meeting uh, this week? We, you know, you'll see the, the minutes will come out in three weeks and we'll give you a lot of detail. I, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about the path ahead and, uh, and the state of the economy. And uh, I wouldn't want to start to drive the, describe all the details there, but that was the sense of the discussion was really talking quite a bit about the path forward. Victoria. Um, hi, Chair Powell. I wanted to ask about um, the debt ceiling. Um, given that we've now hit up against it, um, I was wondering if the U.S. goes past the X date, will the Fed do whatever the Treasury directs as it relates to making payments as the fiscal agent, or will it do its, do its own analysis of any legal constraints? So your question is, would we say your question again? Will the Fed do what Treasury directs as it relates to making payments, or will it do its own analysis of any legal constraints? So you're really asking about... But I, I, you're asking about prioritization, in effect, is what yes, you're Okay. Yes. So I, I, I feel like I have to say this. There's only one way forward here, and that is for Congress to raise the debt ceiling so that the United States government can pay all of its obligations when due. And any deviations from that path would be highly risky, and that no one should assume that the Fed can protect the economy from the consequences of failing to act in a timely manner. In terms of our relationship with the Treasury, we are their fiscal agent. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Are, are you actively doing any planning of, of what might happen in the event that that would happen? I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that. This is a matter that's to be resolved between really, it's really Congress's job to raise the debt ceiling. And uh, I gather there are discussions happening, but they don't involve us. We're, we're, not, uh, we're not involved in those discussions. So we're the fiscal agent. Gina Smilek from the New York Times. Thanks for taking our questions. I wonder, was there any discussion today of the possibility of pausing rate increases and then restarting them? Lori Logan from the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas seemed to suggest that that would be a possibility in a recent speech. And I wonder if that view is broadly shared on the committee. So um, the committee, obviously, did not see this as a time to pause. We judged that the appropriate you know, thing to do at this meeting was to raise the federal funds rate by 25 basis points. And we said that we continue to anticipate that ongoing increases in the target range will be appropriate in order to attain that stance of sufficiently restrictive monetary policy that will bring inflation down to 2%. So that's, that's the judgment that we made. Um, you know, we're going we're gonna to write down new forecasts in March. And, uh, uh, and we'll, you know, we'll certainly be looking at the incoming data, as everyone else will. I mean, would it be possible to take a meeting off, for example, and then resume? You know, could you, rather than just doing at every meeting a move, go a little bit more slowly, take some gaps in between moves? I mean, <clears throat> I think, I, 
This is not something that the committee is thinking about or exploring in any kind of detail. In principle, though, you know, we used to the thing we used to do was go every other meeting, if you remember, 25 basis points, and that was considered a fast pace. Um, so, I think a lot of options are available, and uh, I mean, you saw what the Bank of Canada did, and you know, they left it that they're willing to to raise rates after pausing. But this is not something that this is not something that the that the uh, Federal Open Market Committee is uh, on the on the point of deciding right now. <clears throat> Steve. Steve Leisman, CNBC. Mr. Chairman, um, the SEP has the uh, PCE inflation rate in 2023 at 3.1%. Meanwhile, the three-month annualized PCE is 2.1%, and you've achieved this uh, without going to your 5.1% uh, funds rate, which is what you have penciled in for this year. Um, and you've also achieved it without the one percentage point increase in the unemployment rate, which you have penciled in for this year. I'm wondering if you've considered the idea of whether or not um, your understanding of the inflation dynamic may be wrong, and uh, it's possible to achieve these things without raising rates that high, um, and also without, um, uh, without the surge in unemployment. And specifically, I wonder if you might comment on the uh, speech given by uh, Vice Chair Lel Brannard, who said, to the extent that inputs other than wages may have been responsible in part for important price increases for some non-housing services, an unwinding of these factors. In other words, it may not be wages, the idea that it may not require unemployment rising to get this sector of inflation under control. Thanks. So a couple things. First, on the, <clears throat> on the forecast, um, you, if you're right. If you take very short-term, three-month, three say, measures of PCE, core PCE inflation, they, they're quite low right now, but that's because it's driven by, uh, you know, significantly negative readings from goods uh, inflation. Most forecasters and, uh, would, would think that the, that the significantly negative readings will be transitory and that goods inflation will move up fairly soon back up to its longer run trend of something around zero, something like that. So a lot of forecasts would call for core PCE to go back up to 4% by the middle of the year, for example. So that's really where the sustainable level is, is more like at 4%. So that would suggest there's, there's work left to do. Uh, you know, let's, let's say inflation does come down much faster than we expect, which is, which is possible. As I mentioned, you know, obviously our policy is data dependent. We would take that into account. In terms of, of um, the non, sorry, the core non-housing services, as, as I mentioned earlier, it's a very diverse sector, six or seven sectors. And um, so sectors that represent 55 or 60% of that uh, subsectors of, of that sector um, are, we think, are sensitive to slack in the economy, sensitive to the labor market in a way. But some of the other sectors are, are not. And for example, you know, financial services is, is a big sector. That's really not driven by, by, uh, by uh, uh, labor, labor markets, wages. Um, so that's why I said there, there are a number of things that will affect. Take, take, take restaurants, right? So clearly labor is important for restaurants, but so are food prices. And, you know, transportation services is going to be driven by, by uh, fuel prices, uh, for example. So there are lots of things in that mix that will drive inflation. I would say overall, though, my own view would be that you're not going to have a, you know, a sustainable return to 2% inflation in that sector without a better balance in the labor market. And um, I don't know what that will require in terms of, of increased unemployment, your question. Um, I do think uh, there are a number of dimensions through which the labor market can soften. 
And uh, so far, we've, we've, we've got, as I mentioned, in goods, we have inflation moving down without the softening in the labor market. I think most forecasters would say that, uh, that unemployment will probably rise a bit from here. But I still think, I continue to think, that there's a path to getting inflation back down to 2% without a really significant economic decline or a significant increase in unemployment. And that's, that's because this, the, you know, the, the setting we're in is quite different. The, the, the inflation that we originally got was very much a collision between very strong demand and hard supply constraints, not something that you really have seen in, in, prior, uh, you know, in prior business cycles. And so now we see goods inflation coming down for the reasons we thought. And um, we, we understand why housing inflation will come down. And I think we'll, a story will emerge on, on the... Uh, non-housing services sector soon enough. But I think there is, there's ongoing disinflation and we don't yet see, uh, you know, we don't yet see weakening in the labor market. So we'll have to see. Can we get there with 5%? <clears throat> Certainly possible. Yeah, absolutely it's possible. You know, it's a question, it, no one really knows. I think it's because this is, this, this is not like the other business cycles in so many ways. Um, it may well be uh, that as, as, that it will take more slowing than, than we expect, than I expect, to get inflation down to 2%. But I don't, I don't that's not my base case. My base case is that uh, the economy can return to 2% inflation without a really significant downturn or a really big increase in unemployment. I think that's, that's a possible outcome. Um, I think many, many forecasters would say it's not the most likely outcome, but, but I, I would say there's, there's, a, there's a chance of it. Uh, Michael McKee from Bloomberg TV and Radio. I'd like to pick up on uh, what you were just saying about a uh, substantial downturn and ask with uh, the full weight of your tightening not in place yet and uh, with the progress against inflation, there's still a lot of talk about uh, very, very slow growth going forward in 2023. And the recession indicators are all suggesting uh, that we are going to see recession this year. So I'm wondering if you've changed your view or you have a more nuanced view of what you think the danger to uh, economic growth is going forward and whether you're very close to uh, perhaps tipping it into the wrong place, which calls for more restraint on your part. So I, I do think you most forecasts and, and, you know, my own assessment would be that, that uh, growth will continue, positive growth will continue, but at a subdued pace, as it did last year. We had growth of, uh, GDP growth of 1% last year, and also final sales growth, which, you think is, which we think is a better indicator of about 1%. I think, you know, most forecasts, and, and certainly my assessment would be that growth will continue at, at, at a fairly uh, subdued level this year. Um, there are other factors, though, that need to be considered. You, you will have seen that the global picture is, uh, is improving a bit, uh, and, and that will matter for us, potentially. The labor market remains very, very strong, and that's job creation, that's wages. Um, as inflation does come down, sentiment will improve. You also, um, state and local governments are, are really flush these days with, uh, with you know, money, and many of them are considering tax cuts or even sending checks. So I think that's going to support, they're also spending a lot. There's a lot of spending coming in the construction pipeline, both private and public. And so that's going to support economic activity. So I, I think there's a, 
there's, there's a good chance that, that those factors will help support positive growth this year. And that's my base case is, is that, that, that there will be positive growth this year. Thank you. Rich Miller from Bloomberg. First of all, uh, how are you doing? Uh, Fine, thanks. Fine. Good, good. Uh, second off, um, I think it, earlier on in the press conference, you, you, you said you uh, need to see substantially more evidence uh, uh, of inflation com coming down. Uh, can you give us some idea of what you're thinking of? You mentioned three months, that we've seen three months in a row. Governor Walters suggested he might want to see six months. Is it just the inflation data, or do you have to see the uh, the labor market coming back into better balance to have that substantially more evidence uh, so metric. I, I don't think there's a you know going to be a light switch flipped or anything like that. I think it's just an accumulating accumulation of evidence. So of course we'll be looking by the time of, of the March meeting we'll have two more employment reports, two more CPI reports, and we'll be looking at those carefully as as all of us will, and we'll be asking ourselves what are they telling us and it, and. Uh, uh, soon after that, we'll have another uh, ECI uh, uh, wage report, which, as you know, is, is a report that we, we like because it, it adjusts for composition and it's very complete. And, uh, you know, the one we got, uh, I guess it was yesterday, was, um, was constructive. It's, you know, it's, it shows wages coming down, but still at a, at a high level. They're still, still at, at a level that's way above, where, well above where they were before the, uh, uh, before the uh, pandemic. So. I, I don't want to put a number on it in terms of months, but as, as the accumulated evidence comes in, it's going to be reflected in our assessment of the outlook, and that will be that will be reflected in our policy over time. But I, I will say, though, we, you know, it is our job to restore price stability and achieve two percent inflation for the benefit of the American public. We're not market participants have a very different job, and it's a fine job. It's a great job. In fact, I did that job for for years, but. Um, in one form or another, but uh, you know we have to deliver that, and so we are strongly resolved that we will you know complete this task because we think it has benefits that will you know support economic activity and benefit the public for for many many years. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Fed Chairman, um, for taking the questions. So you've talked about we had solid um, job growth. I'm Edward Lawrence from Fox Business, by the way. We had solid job growth, a slight falling in the increase in consumer spending. Um, it seems so far it's been relatively mild uh, from the economy to go to from a 9.1% CPI inflation to 6.5% CPI inflation. Is the hard part yet to come to go from 65 to 2? I don't think we know, honestly. You know, the uh, so we, of course, expected goods inflation to start coming down by the end of 2021. And it didn't. It didn't come down all through 22. And now it's coming down, and it's coming down pretty fast. So I would say these are. this is not a standard business cycle where you can look at the last 10 times there was a global pandemic and we shut the economy down and uh, Congress did what it did and we did what we did. It's just, it's unique. So. I think certainty is just not appropriate here. Inflation, it's just harder to forecast inflation. It may come down faster. It may take longer to come down. And, you know, our job is to deliver inflation back to target, and we will do that. But I think we, we're going to be cautious about, about declaring victory and, you know, sending signals that, uh, that we think that the, the game is won. Because, it, you know, it's, we've got a long way to go. It's just it's the early stages of disinflation. And the, it's most welcome to be able to say that, that we are now in disinflation. But 
that's great, but we, we just see that it has to spread through the economy and that it's going to take some time. That's all. Do you, how long do you see, then, the federal funds rate remaining at this elevated level? You know, so our, again, our, the, my forecast and that of my colleagues, as you will see from the SEP, and I mean, there are many different forecasts, but generally it's a forecast of slower growth, some softening in labor market conditions, and inflation moving down, moving down steadily, but not quickly. And in that case, uh, if, if the economy performs broadly in line with those expectations, it will not be appropriate to, to cut rates this year, to loosen policy this year. Of course, other people have forecasts with, with inflation coming down much faster. That's a different thing. You know, if that happens, if inflation comes down much faster, you know, then we'll be seeing that, and, and it will be incorporated into our thinking about policy. Simon. Thank you, Chair Powell. Simon Rinovich with The Economist. I may ask a, a further question about the language around ongoing increases. Uh, that, of course, implies at least two further rate rises. Uh, if you look at Fed fund futures pricing, uh, the implication is that you'll raise rates one more time uh, and then pause. Are you concerned about that divergence, uh, or do you think if everything breaks right, is that is that a plausible outcome? I'm, I'm not. I'm not particularly concerned about about the divergence, no, because it's it is largely due to the market's expectation that inflation will move down more quickly. I think that's that's the the, the bigger part of that. Um, so again, as, as I just mentioned, we, uh, you know, our forecasts, different participants have different forecasts, but generally those forecasts are for continued subdued growth, some softening in the labor market, but not a recession, not a recession. And, and we have inflation moving down, um, you know, into the somewhere in the mid threes or maybe lower than that this year. We'll update that in March, but that's what we thought in December. Markets are, are past that. They, they show inflation coming down in some cases much quicker than that. So we'll just have to see. Um, and we have a different view, and a different view, it's a different forecast, really. Um, and uh, given our outlook, I, I, I just I don't see us cutting rates this year if we get our, if our outlook turns true. As I mentioned just now, if, if we do see inflation coming down much more quickly, that'll, that'll play into our policy setting, of course. Hi, Chair Powell. Scott Horsley from NPR. Um, one of the changes in the statement this, this month is that the committee is no longer listing public health as among the data points you'll consider in assessing conditions. What should we make of that? Does the Federal Reserve no longer see the pandemic as, as weighing on the economy? That's the general sense of it. Look, we understand, I personally understand well that, that, that uh, COVID is still out there, um, but uh, that it's no longer playing an important role in our economy. And, you know, we've kept that statement in there for, uh, for quite a while. And I think we just, we knew we would take it out at some point. There's never a perfect time. But we thought that, uh, you know, people are handling it better and the economy and the society are handling it better now. It doesn't really need to be in a, you know, in the Fed's uh, uh, monthly, uh, or, you know, post-meeting statement as an ongoing economic risk as opposed to, you know, a health issue. Hi, Chair Powell, Nancy Marshall-Genzer uh, with Marketplace. I wanted to go back to another thing that Fed Vice Chair Lael Brainerd said recently. Um, she said she doesn't see signs of a wage price spiral. And I'm wondering if you agree with that. I do. Yeah, I do. I, I, I don't see that yet. But the whole point is, you know, if you, once you see it, it you're, you, you have a serious problem. That, that, that means that 
effectively in people's decision making, inflation has become a really salient issue. And once that happens, that's what, you, that's what we can't let, allow to happen. And, you know, so that's why we worry that the longer we're at this and the longer people are talking about inflation all day long, every day, um, you know, the, the more risk of something like that. But no, there's, there's not much, it's, a, it's more of a risk. It always has been more of a risk than anything else. By the way, I think it's becoming less salient. And people are, you know, we, we pick that up in conversations. And I've seen some data, too, that show people are, you know, gradually, they're glad that inflation's coming down. People really don't like inflation. And as we see it coming down, that could also add a boost to economic activity. You, you look at the sentiment uh, surveys now, and they're very, very low. With 3.5% unemployment and, you know, high wage increases nominally by historical standards, why can that be? It has to be inflation, right? So uh, I think once inflation is seen to be coming down in, in coming months, even you will also see a, a boost to sentiment, I hope. So that's what you're looking at most closely is consumer expectations. That's, that's at the very heart is consumers and businesses that, you know, are the, essentially we believe that uh, expectations of future inflation are very, a very important part of the process of creating inflation. That, that's, a, that's a sort of a bedrock belief. Uh, in one way or another, it, it, it has to be. It, we think it's important. Um, and uh, in this case, I would say the risk eight months ago or so, longer-term inflation expectations had moved up. We moved quite vigorously last year. Expectations are seem to be well anchored, including at the shorter end now, not just the longer end. So it's, you know, and that's, I think that's very reassuring. I think, you know, the markets have decided and the public has decided that inflation is going to come back down to 2%, and it's just a matter of us following through. That's immeasurably helpful to the process of getting inflation down. The fact that people now do generally believe that it will come down, that'll be part of the process of getting it down, and it's a very positive thing. Thank you, Chair Powell. Greg Rapp from MarketWatch. In the minutes of the December meeting, there was a, a couple sentences that struck people as important. When the committee said participants talked about this unwarranted easing of financial conditions was a risk, and it would make your life harder to bring inflation down. I haven't seen heard you talk much about that today or in the statement, so I was wondering, has that concern eased among members, or is that still something you're concerned about? Thank you. I would put it this way. It's something that we monitor carefully. Financial conditions didn't really change much from the December meeting to now. They mostly went sideways or up and down, but came out in roughly the same place. Um, it's important that the markets do reflect the tightening that we're putting in place. As we've, as we've discussed a couple times here, there's a different difference in perspective by some market measures on how fast inflation will come down. We're just going to have to see. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to try to persuade people to have a different forecast. But our forecast is that it will take some time and some patience and that we'll need to keep rates higher for longer. But we'll, we'll see. Let's go to Brendan for the last question. Hi, Chair Powell. Uh, Brendan Peterson with Punchbowl News. Uh, I wanted to ask if the Fed takes into account at all the debt ceiling when it comes to quantitative tightening, given the fact that rapid or faster quantitative tightening could bring us closer, faster to that drop dead debt ceiling deadline? Could it play an effect as we get closer to that drop dead deadline this summer? I, look, I, it's very hard to think about all the different possible 
ramifications? And I, I think the answer is basically I don't, I don't think there's likely to be any important interaction between the two because I believe Congress will wind up acting and as it, as it will and must in the end to raise the debt ceiling in a way that doesn't risk you know, the progress we're making against inflation and the economy and the financial sector. I believe that that will happen. I believe it will happen. You know, it, we, we, of course, will monitor money market conditions carefully uh, as, you know, as the process moves on. For example, the, the Treasury General account will shrink down and then it will grow back up. And we understand there'll be lots of flows between there and the overnight repo facility and, and reserves. We, we understand all that. We're watching it uh, carefully. We'll just be monitoring it. Thank you very much. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.